I love hearing our church say the name of Jesus. All right. All right, to our kiddos, I know you want to continue to worship. If you will follow Miss Abigail, she's going to lead you to worship. That nickname is going to stay forever, Abigail. I love it too, and I love you. I think you're amazing. All right, so last week we opened up with a discussion on the Noahic Covenant. We've been talking about, for the past few weeks, when the Bible says God's going to do something, when he says, I will, or when he says, this is something that, you know, I'm going to accomplish this. We take that to the bank. I mean, we, we believe that. I mean, that, that brings with it a crescendo of celebration, right? I mean, from God's people. When, when God says, I will, we say, yes. Now, what that's going to always do, when God says he's going to do something, either that will cause us to bend our knees and tremble in fear, now, look right here. If This is important. We get this. I know this is kind of a transition where kids are exiting the building. We're opening our Bibles to Isaiah, by the way, if you wanted to go ahead and do that. It is not only okay, it is expected for God's people to tremble before him. Any type of theology that teaches you you are to mature out of trembling before God and approach him with some type of Comfort that just says he's just a friend or just a... He is still the holy creator of everything. It's right to tremble before God. It's good. It's good for your children, parents, to see you tremble before God. I'm going to go with the, the silence in the room is just that you're thinking about that, but... Um, nonetheless, it's also good. There are mo- moments when God says, I will, where, man, we, we celebrate, we dance. That's good, right? Again, the silence would say, well, I don't know. Yet, no, we celebrate. We get excited. It's God is worth that from his people. Amen. All right, good, you're there. I like that. So the past few weeks, we've been talking about that, and we, we listened to some of these I will statements. We've said thank you as God has done tremendous, beautiful, earth-shattering things for his people. We talked about the Adamic covenant two weeks ago where God says, here's a promise. I'm going to put enmity between you and the serpent. There's going to be war. I love that. Praise God, right? So the effort to kill you Listen, church, the effort to kill you that the serpent had on the agenda, God said it will not win. My plan wins, right? Last week, we talked about the Noahic covenant where God said, I will not destroy the world again. God knew our sin. He saw how disgusting our sin was, but yet God stayed true to the glorious promise of salvation. God is good, right? All right, now, here, let me make another point. Just in two weeks' worth of Bible study, let us safely conclude God is the only one worthy of celebration. Right? That's why there's no hope to be put in a pastor. There's no hope to be put in a rabbi, a church. There is no hope to be put into a denomination. 
and I'll say it gladly again as a pastor of, of this church, my hope is not, nor will it ever be, in the Southern Baptist Convention, right? My hope is in the gospel of Jesus. My hope resonates in the promise of the blood of Messiah, because what we've seen is, God says, I promise you, there'll be hatred between the man that you sought to destroy and the sin that you hoped would separate us. I'm going to make him hate that. Thank you, God. Because on my own, I lust for sin. Then God says, man is so worthy of judgment, I destroyed everything, but I won't do that again. Thank you, God. You see, nobody planned that. That's just the nature and beauty of God. Well, before we get into our text today, I thought the Edemic covenant, the Noahic covenant, these are promises God made to Adam, thus the word Edemic, and to Noah, thus the word Noahic. Let's continue with the Abrahamic covenant. Just, let's just define it simply, okay? And if you want to put your finger into Isaiah 42, all roads are leading to that this morning. The Abrahamic covenant, though, as, you, as I just got everyone to turn to Isaiah, let me reference Genesis chapter 12, which says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what we see is years after the, the flood, pride had set into God's people. Okay, God dealt with it with Adam. He dealt with it with Noah. And now here's what's happening again. Pride, sin is making its way through. And God says to Abraham, okay, I'm going to make a people through you. God is resilient in securing his people. Isn't that awesome? Let me tell you who's that. I, I appreciate it. That's not silly, though. Okay? That's good news. Because some of us are not resilient in maintaining to be his people. None of us are. And if we thought we came into church saying, I'm doing pretty good, you're really not. I mean, none of us are. On our own standards, our only hope is Christ. Church, God is resilient to hold on to his people. I will, I will make you a nation. I will bless you. Matter of fact, anyone who blesses you will bless those who curse you. I'm going to curse them. Yeah, that was years after the flood. And after having dispersed them because God brought about confusion within their language, God would eventually choose one man and one nation as the instrument of his blessing. That's a, just a brief touch on the Tower of Babel for those of you who might needed that refreshment, but God says, you are still trying to do this on your own. I'm going to confuse you. To this day, I can't understand a thing, Frankie says. I'm convinced there's a little Mandarin woven in there somewhere, a little southern frustration, but when he says, dot, 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 I have no idea what he's saying. Confusion, but there's ways to cross that Imagine that on a much grander scale. God said, no, you're not going to be a God unto yourselves. I'm going to reserve mine for me. It's not going anywhere. 
Look at the promises in the Abrahamic covenant. He will be made into a great nation. The nation will be led into the promised land. And through him, Abraham, all people of the earth will be blessed. So that's a snapshot on the Abrahamic covenant. But let's keep going since your enthusiasm demands it. Um, we will look at the Mosaic covenant. Again, this is another promise to Moses in Exodus chapter 19. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which I shall speak to the children of Israel. I mean, so here is God telling Moses that if Israel obeys, that didn't go too well, by the way. I mean, Israel, horrible at obedience. They remind me of me. Um, if you ever want to see yourself in the Bible, oftentimes we can look at the actions of Israel and say, oh, there I am. That, that's me. Um, nonetheless, they will be his chosen people, his treasured possession. Isn't God sweet? He is. So ultimately, these blessings, they will be extended to all people. This conditional promise brings Israel closer to, to uh, understanding the promise God made in the Abrahamic covenant. But yet there's more because now that we've lightly touched on the Mosaic covenant, we can introduce the Davidic covenant, which is the promise God made to David. Don't check out, guys. This is all building block stuff for Isaiah. 2 Samuel chapter 7, we see that after the people disobeyed the commands made in the previous covenants of God, God made this covenant with David as he means to bring them back into a relationship to himself. Listen, if you leave North Valley Church and you ever come back, this is what I pray you remember forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. The beauty of our salvation is that God is the one that maintains it. Our story is the rebellious, fleeting bride. Our Savior is the resilient, attentive bridegroom. Therefore, all celebration belongs to Jesus. All praise to the one true God. All hope in God alone. We are to build up a celebration of our inhaling and our exhaling that belongs to God. I'm telling you guys, nothing else in any other thought is blasphemous. 2 Samuel chapter 7, it says, when your day, this is the covenant. It says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offering, offspring rather, after you. You shall come from your body. Who shall come from your body? I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So what he's saying is, David, I'm making a promise to you. Somebody's coming from your family tree here that's going to be amazing. And long after you're dead, I'm going to raise him up. I know. Isn't that awesome? I know. This, this is beautiful. And he says, I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. And when he commits, now this isn't referring to Jesus because we're talking about iniquity here. Listen to this. Never, ever, ever consume the perfection of Christ with any form of sin. that It does not exist within him. 
I will be to him a father, he will be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with a rod of men and the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, who I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. God is saying, I'm pulling from your line an established throne that does not stop. And listen to this. That throne still pursues God's people to retain them to himself. That's amazing. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all the vision, Nathan spoke to David. This is a promise of an eternal kingdom fulfilled who we know in Jesus. Thank you, God. Luke chapter 1 goes on to say this. Then the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. The Davidic covenant. More. You want more. I got it. I hear you. I hear you. Jeremiah 31 introduces the new covenant. Because despite all the failure of God's people to live up to the previous covenants that were made, God graciously, mercifully made a new one with his people. In Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them into the land that led out of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will, I will put my law in their mind. Write it in their hearts. I will be their God. And they shall be my people. You know, when I make statements like I, I just made that say things like, here's my loyalty. My loyalty is to the Christ. It's not just to a denomination. It's not just to a church. Please don't ever consume that with some arrogant willingness to be argumentative. It's simply saying, God, you have made me yours. That credit is to yours and no one else. Therefore, my loyalty is to you and no one else. Are we together? That covenant goes on to say, I'll put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. God is saying, listen to this, God is saying, my people will know me. They will know me. My people will know me. Amen. I trust you, God. For they shall know me, for the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity 
and their sin I will remember no more. Just in case that doesn't resonate with you and we're still hoping coffee wakes us up a little bit, he will forgive the sins of his people. He will give them the ability and the desire to follow him. We will constantly fight that. God will constantly win out. The day is coming when the fight will be over. Praise God. This promise finds its ultimate fulfillment in Christ. Now, listen to this. If I was teaching on the covenants today, God willing, someday I will, I would go in tremendously more detail. This is rich. I feel almost irresponsible to surface introducing it to you. I, I do so so that we could go into Isaiah 42 and tremble. Just a little bit. I and my authority can't make you do that. So I pray that the Spirit of God would bring about a reverence and a joy and an enthusiasm and a celebration and a cry and a brokenness all within God's people. I want us to listen as God tells us what he will do. I would even say this when we look at these covenants, even on a brief exterior. We should know the history of what got us here. We should want to know all about who we are. Isaiah 42. Now, I'm going to be all over this chapter. As you can already see, we've kind of gone from Genesis to Hebrews to Exodus to 2 Samuel. If you would, indulge me. I do look forward to the week where we are focusing on just small passages again, and we can put them up on the screen. So it is going to require you to look at your Bible, or feel free just to listen. That's fine. But we're going to be in Exodus or excuse me, Isaiah 42, and we're just going to walk through this for a little bit. But I want you to, to pay attention to the wording, to the whole. Okay, good. Verse 1. Let's pray. Father, I, I feel so inadequate what we're about to read the weight of this passage is overwhelming to me. I pray for a miracle in your house that only you could do, O great sovereign God. You, as we sing, expose things that are in darkness. We are a people that continues to chase darkness. We pray, O God, that you would have your way We pray that you would redeem, that you would humble us. Open our hearts, please, God. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. This is all coming from the prophet Isaiah. God is speaking through the prophet to his people. And thus says the Lord God, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. 
He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. The coastlands wait for his law. Now look at this. Let's, let's pause. Listen to what you just read. Behold my servant. Okay, so this is God's chosen servant. Listen, don't lose sight that God said, I take delight in him. And this is the description that we just kind of read over. And I really pray this resonates with us. The description is, I put my spirit upon him. I will, uh, he will bring justice for the nations. He won't cry aloud or lift up his voice. He will not break. He won't be quenched. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He doesn't grow tired. He will not be discouraged. He will establish justice in the earth. The coastlands, the nations, they wait for his law. Um, it reminds me, I remember, um, and again, I, I, some of my stories I repeat to show grace. ADD does that sometimes. But I, I was, uh, took a group of college students from Gazan to Siberia. I've shared with that with you before. And there was this one guy that I befriended while we were in Siberia, um, and his name was Elia. Elia was around 16, 17 years old, and he was a member of the only church in his tribe of people. There was about a 50-mile radius. The church consisted of six to seven people. They were all his family. The pastor was the grandfather. He was the pastor because in his military experience, he learned to read Russian. And the only Bible they had was Russian. None of them could read Russian. They had no Bible in their Buryat language. And so here is Elia. And Elia did not sweat losing the scripture. He was just committed to memorizing the Bible. I was dumbfounded at the wealth of knowledge my sweet brother had of God's word. He just took it in. He just drank it in. It was beautiful. He had a glow about him that was just precious to me and encouraged my heart. And he came up to me, and he practiced English. And he, the one thing he would always say to me without the interpreter, if there was no interpreter around, he said, Rick Dearman, I like you and love you. And I would say, Elia, the Buryat, I like you and love you too, buddy. Never had any idea what I was saying. He, we would just smile, hoping an interpreter would come by so we could talk. But one day he asked me this. You live in a Christian nation. And I said, Sure, if, I mean, you know, that's for a longer conversation. There's Christians in our nation. I mean, he said, I need to know. What does your nation do when your president reads them the Bible? Now, my first thought was, oh, are you talking about our pastors like in our church? He said, no, when your leader, I mean, as a Christian nation. And these are some of the quotes that I've retained from that time in the field, and I'll never forget it. He says, um, 
you can't be a Christian nation and not love the word. And I said, okay, uh, I see where this is going. This is about to be painful. You know, I'm thinking this. He says, so when your president reads the Bible, does everyone stop? Listen? Very carelessly, selfishly. I said, Eli, that's not how it works at all, man. Our president don't read us the Bible. Matter of fact, I don't think I've ever heard a president, he'll quote it here and there in a speech, but I've never heard him just read the Bible to us as a, as a teacher would to people. That's not how it works at all. And I watched his demeanor just fall. It just, his heart broke. He said, I don't, you're a Christian nation. I said, Elia, we have a nation of people that with their mouth they say they're followers of Christ, but their actions don't follow that. Broken. Then he said something I'll never forget. I should write this in the, you know, those pages in your Bible where you make notes. I need to write Elia's statement. Then he said, thank you for being here with us, but you need to be among your people. I wish I could say my first thought was uh, something pure and righteous, but I was embarrassed. But God has promised the nations will yearn for his law. You ever hear friends beside us in church get aggravated when we talk about missions, when there's work to be done right next door? Tell those people to read the Bible. And then in love, rebuke them because we're called to go to the nations. North Valley Church will go to the nations. Or get out of our way. <laughs> uh, kidding, get out of our way. Um, God said, there will be mine. I'll put my word in them. I will lead them. I will forgive them. The nations yearn for this. And now we see the action of the servant of God. We see this now through Jesus, the Messiah. We see the plan. We see the one who will crush the head of the serpent. Right? We see. We have the New Testament. So we see it now. Amen. We see that. It's beautiful. We, we see the one who will rightly bring judgment to the world. Jesus will. He's a good judge. He will judge. Our God will judge. Let it be so. Amen. He will. He will save the righteous. He'll bring judgment. We see the one who will bring his people to himself. We see the one who will come from the lineage of David. We see that. And Isaiah says... This is how Isaiah describes him. He bears the Spirit of God. He brings justice to the nations. He's humble in his appearing. He's mighty in his judgment. He is unbreakable, unquenchable. He's inexhaustive. He is full of zeal for his glory. He is the Word. He will not be discouraged. He will establish justice to the world, the justice of God, who has made a way for a sinful creation like me to be adopted by him. Praise God. That's who he is. That's... That's our hope. This is our God. This is him. It's not the one who says, did you like the way you felt today in my house? 
Well, then let's change some things because your comfort is paramount. Oh, sweet friends, I say this from a standpoint on an on a elevated stage behind this thing, and it acts like I'm exempt from these struggles. No, 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 no. I'm right beside you. I, we are a family. When I say this, it's not about our comfort. It is about us as a people trembling before God and not trying to barter our way out of following Him. Nor is it about us excusing ourselves and being devoted to Him. We have to be a people that says, whoa, 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 more important than my job, my retirement, my income, more important than my marital status, my relationships, more important than my joy, more important than my grief, more important than my children, more important than my loneliness. God is God. He is the fulfillment of the Adamic covenant, the promise of Noah, the promise of Abraham, the promise of Moses. He is the fulfillment of the new covenant in Ezekiel. He is everything. He is of the line of David. His throne is forever. He is not elected. He determines the elected. How then are we... Okay. How then are we to vote? I'll tell you. I'm glad you asked. There's a lot of talk about that garbage today. We almost beat our chest more arrogantly about who's going to sit at Pennsylvania Avenue. Maybe what we should do as a people with the choice to vote is we say, God, here is the ballot. I pray that what's about to happen here is honoring to you. I submit my comfort, my safety, my desire to your plan. You be glorified in what's about to happen here. Nothing else. We've got it kind of inverted. I hate him. It's uncomfortable. I hate her. She's un no, stop for a second. And let's come back to be a people trembling before the one who came from the throne of David. The unshakable throne. The eternal one. Jesus, the Messiah, who bears the mark of our punishment and who has called you to follow him. And who loves us still when we say, I can't. We have a game Saturday. I can't. I worked a little extra this week. To hell with that. To hell with our excuses, to judgment, to damnation be our excuses. To damnation be our resilience to oppose God. That's why moments ago when we started, I said, God is determined to hold on to his people. It could have been done in the garden. He could have let it go. But he made a covenant. No, they're going to hate you. He made a covenant with David. He made a covenant with Moses, with Abraham. All along, God said, they are mine. And then he said, and here's the plan. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Hallelujah. No one else. No pastor deserves that celebration. No pat on the back to any man. Christ alone. Something you may know about, you need to know about your pastor they don't need to be celebrated. They need to be prayed for. Here's why. Because they fail. And they fall. 
and they stumble, and they sin. If you don't believe me, I know one. I'll, I'll tell you the truth. I am he. That's me. Oh, this is our God. Praise God. What a glorious king. We worship, we celebrate, we follow his word. No. We turn our back. We excuse. But then we, we forget because we felt good. I could keep going there. Instead, let's go back to the text because it's perfect. I'm not. Verse 5. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread them out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind. And we're talking about spiritual blindness here. Many of our friends who have no physical vision see beautifully clear by the blood of Jesus. To bring out prisoners from the dungeon and from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. This is what God says. This is what Yahweh says, the creator God. I am Yahweh. That's what he says. Look at your Bible. It says, I am the Lord. He's saying, I am Yahweh. Yahweh is how the Hebrews pronounce it. There was no vowels. That is my name. I am the Lord, Yahweh. Jews to this day, they won't even write God's name. They won't even say it. Unless they're reading from Torah, then they'll say it. But if they're talking, if, if a rabbi was teaching, he would replace that with the phrase, the Almighty, because it's such a holy name, he doesn't want to say it on his lips. Scribes would go so far as to cleanse themselves before they would write the Tetragrammaton or before they would write those four letters of the name of God. Why uh, W-H-W or Y-H-W-H. That's how they would, they would cleanse themselves. They would fear for that glorious name. I, have, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. It gets the attention. He says, I have called you in righteousness. Now listen to this. Let's make sure we understand what it means because when you leave here today, I want you to remember, Christian, you were called in righteousness. Okay? That means you were not called against the will of Jesus because the Father and the Son are one. The Father and the Son are unified in the calling. And now the Hebrew understanding for that verb is this. I am summoning. My people, I am summoning them to myself. Tremble before God. Do it. I, some of us right now, we are juxtaposing those wonderful felt board stories of our Southern Baptist upraising. I have them. I love them. I cherish them. 
I want you to juxtapose those to the weight of Scripture where God says, I am the promise of Adam. I am the promise of Noah. I am the promise of Abraham. I am the promise of David. I am the new promise. I am summoning my people. And your response, drop to your knees and say, Oh God, oh God, let, let my heart revere that news. Let, let my home revere that that's why Jesus said, you want to know how to pray? Don't, don't pray for your comfort. Don't pray as if God doesn't know. Don't go to God and say, I break my fever. That's not what we say. God was saying, here's how to pray. Our Father in heaven, our Father over Noah, over Adam, over David, our great sovereign Yahweh, hallow your name in me. That's been the cry of God's people from the very beginning when we learned to pray. Wow. In righteousness, I've called you. In other words, in complete unity, I will bear the blood necessary to redeem my people. And here's what he says. Look at this. I will take you by the hand and keep you. Sometimes I have to explain again, why do I believe in the eternal security of the believer? Here's why. You know what comes next. I've quoted this many times. If we could lose our salvation, you already would have. The reason we hold to this promise is Jesus has said, the Father unified, the triune Godhead has said, I will take you by the hand. I will keep you. You want to know why Rick Dearman is a pastor today? Ooh, is this being recorded? Okay. Ah. I tried not to be. Let's get real honest for a second. I wanted to quit, and I tried to quit. I tried to quit ministry. It is horrible sometimes. I know that's probably not the best thing to say from a pulpit. I don't. I tried to quit, and I sought out other options. I'm so embarrassed. I told God I was done, and I repented of being a pastor on my knees. I told God I was sorry. I said, Lord, I should have never accused you of that. I, I can't endure. I want to stop. My family's tired. My wife is tired. I'm tired. And so I, I tried working popular retail stores, but they wouldn't read my resume. Just anything. It became a joke in my family that I couldn't even get a, a phone call back from a very popular retail store. I just wanted to stock things at night. I tried to be involved in another ministry so that I could take my family to worship on Sunday. And just worship. Your pastor is a coward apart from Christ. The only thing good in me is Jesus. When I read, God promised 
to take me by the hand and keep me? Some of us need to be reminded of that today. Because you gave yourself permission to quit. And as a pastor, I'm not going to come at you with some crazy self-righteous gavel that says, shame on you. I'm not going to do that. I get it, actually. I get it. You're tired. And sometimes God's people hurt. They say mean things. I was diagnosed with cancer as a youth pastor in Gaza, and I had a meeting where some parents said, hey, we're removing our kids from your student ministry. We're leaving. I said, what's, did I do something? They said, we think it's rude for you to expect our children to watch you die. Sometimes God's people hurt. I get why you want to quit. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob says, I will seek my people and I will hold them. I'm going to take them by the hand. And while they're fighting and they're pulling away, and while we're saying, I can't, I don't want to do it anymore, I'm tired, I'm angry. God says, I am going to keep you. Right now, we hate it. But the day is coming when that glory God, why are you so resilient? Lord, why are you so... Why? He answers it. Verse 7. To open the eyes of the blind. Isn't that beautiful? God wants to open the eyes of the blind, but first we need to understand what he has said about the blind. And I know it's 11 o'clock. I'm going to cover this in the name of Jesus. Stay with me. Lamentations 4.14. They wandered. They were blind in the streets. They were defiled with blood so that no one could touch their garments. They were blind. God says, I want them. I'm going to call them. I'm going to hold them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. God said, I want them. They're mine. I'm summoning my people from them. I'm going to give them sight. It's not their idea to not be blind anymore. John 3, 19, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world. But men love the darkness rather than the light. Their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light. God says, I'm taking them. They're mine. They're my people. I'm going to summon them. I'm keeping them. I'm not throwing them away. John 12, for this reason they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their, their, their eyes. He's hardened their hearts so that they would not see God said, I'm going to give them sight. The Messiah came to give sight. He came to open the eyes of the blind. But then it says this. He also came to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. He came to set the prisoner free. Boy, that makes a great song lyric. And we like to dance, and that's worth dancing over, but we need to know what it means first. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Guys, let me, let me tell you this. I'm walking through two young adults right now, and I'm trying to let them know this, because they, they have friends that are, that are lost. They have friends that are believers. And I'm trying to walk my kids through this truth. So allow me to 
expose parenting struggles for a moment. It's this. Hey, guys, look. You claim to be God's people, right? Yes, okay. Those who are not God's people. It's not just that they're good. They're controlled by the serpent. Now, I know that you want to argue that with me, but I can say that because that was my life, okay? The serpent has already told you his plan to destroy you, to seek, to steal from you, to destroy you, to kill you. Guard your heart. Guard it. They're in a dungeon. We pray that God would summon them. Bring the gospel. John 8, 34, Jesus answered, though, truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Hebrews 2, therefore, since the children share in the flesh and blood of he himself, likewise also partook of the same, that though death he might render powerless him who had the power of death. God. Romans 7, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? 2 Peter 2, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. By what a man, by, by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. On and on and on. Jesus said, I want them. I'm summoning my people from there. I will take them by the hand. I will hold them. So, God, let your people unanimously resound with, you are worthy of our life. And if it means submitting myself to do away with my comfort of this world for a mere 20 years of life, 40 years of life, 120 years of life, I don't know. Then let me do so to the glory of God, knowing, oh God, you sustain and you keep us. You're worthy of all of me. So what is God's response? And I'll close with this. You've heard all of these things. God said in this new covenant, I will do this. I will set them free. I will give them sight. I will hold them. What is God's response? And how should we take that response? Here it is. Verse 8 is his response. I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory I will not give to another nor my praise to anything you make. God is saying, here's my response to me sending my son. Here's my response to fulfilling the Edemic promise, the Mosaic, the, the Abrahamic, the New Covenant. Here's my promise. I am Yahweh. And I give my glory to no one, no man, no woman, no institution. I am the Lord. That is my name. And my celebration I won't give to musicians. I won't give to a platform personality. I am the Lord. I give nothing to no one. It belongs to me. The praise belongs to me. It belongs to God. That's who it owes to. Nothing else. Nothing else. That's God's response. Splendor, majesty, dignity, reputation. That's kobad in Hebrew. God is saying, my dignity, my majesty, 
my splendor belongs to me. I will not give my tehillah to another, my praise. I won't give my reputation to a pastor. He'll let me down. I won't give my reputation to a church. You'll get hurt. I won't give my reputation to your emotions. They're shallow. No, I won't give my reputation to no one else. It's fine. Look unto me and no one else. My celebration, I won't give to anybody else because though they're blessings, they're not me. Right out here, keeping your bed babies today is my childhood dream, my spouse. She cannot fulfill my heart. God's saying, Rick, you've had a crush on her since you were a child. I'm not going to give my praise to Cindy because then it will be your sin that makes Cindy fulfill you. I alone fulfill you. Oh, did you like there's children I bless you with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There. I will give my praise to them. Thank me. 57 times in the Old Testament alone, you talk about the praise and the glory to God and no one else. Not to a king, not to a man, to God alone. North Valley Church, our hope is resonated in the gospel of Christ. He's beautiful. The Savior is beautiful. He's worthy of everything. So allow me to do my best to pastor you in this moment. But if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, just zone me out. Find a place in the room if you need to and get on your face before God if you would like. Posture yourself, however. But I do want to address for those that may have come into God's house today saying, I feel displaced. I'm not very good at quitting because you, there's a nagging voice that never stops. Let us turn to the Lord and say, thank you, God, for the nagging voice. It's the most beautiful gift you could give me. And some of us are saying, God, I don't want to go any further because my wounds are still obvious to me and I'm not opening myself up to another. Who am I to say what I'm about to say, right? I'm just a man. But allow me to testify on behalf of the wounds I bear. You don't have the right to do that. 
come with your brokenness. Lay them at the feet of Christ. And say, Lord, as I serve you, these wounds will be an offering still. And know this, no matter how much you war with God, no matter how much internally you're struggling, He keeps you. The church will turn their back on you. Don't we do that? Man does that. God keeps you. The glory of His name, He keeps us. So in this moment, I feel it best to honor the one who keeps us by allowing His people to respond to Him. As we enter into prayer, I don't do this a lot but I do, knowing my testimony, I feel like I need to offer this now. If you have questions about your salvation and you're tired of that, we're going to be real direct for a moment, and you're tired, you're saying, God, I feel, I feel your prompting. I don't know what to do. Will you give me the honor of sitting with you and let's talk with the Bible open? I'm not going to give you some stamped blueprint to believe. I want to lead you to the truth of what God says about himself and pray that God would open your heart to the beauty of salvation. So if that's you, while we pray, while we worship, while we're silent, while we sing, while we cry, while we repent, while we commit, it would be an honor to meet with you and to walk with you through what God is speaking to your heart. He's worthy.